What a difference a year makes. Mercedes may have finished another Turkish Grand Prix on top and a decent enough fifth place for Lewis Hamilton, although those though those in Brackley won't be entirely happy to see two Red Bulls between the two. Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. Hosting today will be me, Owen Medford, and joining me are Philip Matthew from the Grip Strip podcast. Hello. And Joad from the Hit the Apex podcast. Hello. Right, so... Uh, Today, obviously, we'll be giving our analysis and reaction to the Turkish Grand Prix. But I think I'll start with you, Jawad, just on Valtteri Bottas. I mean, it was a lights-to-flag victory for him there. And uh, it, honestly, you know, it, it almost seemed like we were watching a different driver to me. You know, you almost didn't really, you, you kind of didn't see him. He didn't really feature, but that's kind of all they really needed to do. And and there he is with 20, 26 points at the end. One thing I will say is that it's World Porridge Day, so maybe that's got something to do with it, (laughs) that he was able to put in one of those lights to flag victories. And he said after the race he felt like it was one of his best wins in F1, his 10th win, whether this will be the last win we see from Bottas in who knows how long now given he's going to Alfa Romeo next year. But, you know, you just it makes you think, and they said it a lot in the post-race coverage, where is where is this Bottas? You know, this is the kind of Bottas that you expect driving a Mercedes would be turning up every weekend or if not every weekend, every other weekend. But yeah, you know, it's just it was a nice reminder to see that, you know, that quick Bottas who, let's be honest, he didn't have the pace to get pole position because and got it because Hamilton got the penalty, but in the race he drove flawlessly in the wet conditions too. So yeah. And the porridge. <laughs> yeah, someone's had their ready break. I think that's how that saying goes. As you say, you know, it was, there were no mistakes from him really. Uh you saw many a more experienced driver, notably one Fernando Alonso, uh get get bumping around into people. Uh, behind we had Max Verstappen and I think, you know, it must have been a good performance by Valtteri and Mercedes. Probably, you know, after expecting to come into uh, into into Istanbul with uh, being on the back foot, just the way the circuit is, I think it says a lot about either how well Bottas was driving, or conversely, how sort of slightly off the pace Verstappen was. Phil, with the fact that he just didn't seem to be able to get anywhere near close to to the fin at all. Yeah, I think Owen, it was a consolidation. It was damage limitation. They kept on bringing that up during the race. I Fundamentally for Max after last race and coming through in second when he started tailback uh, to go and come through here, start second, finish second, no major issues. You know, Red Bull probably want to be mad about the Mercedes power units. So they'll be mad about something, but the... The fundamental fact is they've retaken the driver's championship lead. Uh, Mercedes had them beat on pace all weekend. I mean, I guess in the second sector, Red Bull had a little bit, but really wasn't enough to make up for the first and third sectors. Uh, The conditions, I think, assisted them a little bit in this sense. I think it was a fully dry race. We would have seen um, a different result. But because of the conditions regarding both qualifying and the race, Max Verstappen got the best that he could have in this spot. And all year, as long as he's finished a race, he's been on the podium. Uh, Lewis, on the other hand, has had finishes outside of that, which is where, you know, this swing, these swings and all 
kind of taken place, minus, of course, the offs and the other incidents that have taken place for both drivers, on not only on their own, but together. So, you know, Red Bull, they should be happy because of not just what Max did, but the person we're going to talk about next. And it's a, it's not generally one of their better circuits. They've had some pretty epic um, fails there. So the fact that they get the double podium, Max retakes the points lead, they kind of cut into the Constructors' Championship lead, keeping it within one full race of Constructors' Championship is is reasonable going to Coda, the U.S. Grand Prix here in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, as you say, you never know what's going to happen. And uh, and it, it, it's always useful to just stay within touching distance uh, just in case. You know, maybe the both Mercedes somehow go out and, you know, having Sergio Perez uh, in third place is a great place to fight. You know, it's a great way to start with that, uh, start the fight back on the constructors. Because Mercedes have been uh, sort of moving away. Starting from sixth, Gerard, uh, it's actually a very, very good performance, I would say, from Sergio Perez. You know, a little trouble with Hamilton mid-race. Mid but apart from that, it's it's worked out fairly well for them. And obviously, you know, they've they've taken the uh, the two bottom steps on the podium, which is always good to see for them. Yeah, well, like Phil said as well, great for their Constructors' Championship as well. First podium for Checo since the French Grand Prix, if I'm correct in saying. So it was long overdue. And, you know, for many races, we've been talking about how if Red Bull want to win this championship, constructors and drivers, then they're going to have to get their second driver up there. And he put in a good job today, had that little thing with Hamilton in the middle of the race. But full credit to the way he uh, defended as well to, you know, keep that little battle going for a couple of corners and then going into turn one on the next lap, having the upper hand. So he did a good job. There was a moment there when they did pit him that I said in the live chat group that uh, have they made a mistake here because um, Hamilton's obviously ahead now. But then I guess with uh, what happened to Hamilton later on, it all kind of made sense and, to see both Red Bull cars on the podium, great result for them to keep that constructors' fight nice and tight as well. Mm, yeah, excellent. It was sort of the, you know, that's it, it, he's done exactly what he needs to do, as you say. Next, we have someone that I don't think I saw a single frame uh, of on the uh, on the coverage. But to be honest, bearing in mind where the championship rivals of of this particular driver ended up, uh, I don't think that's entirely an issue. Uh, Charles Leclerc, Phil. Anonymous race, but one of those ones where that's fine. That's perfectly fine for uh, for that to happen. You know, he was up fairly high at one point, but uh, he's, you know he's finished the same place he uh, finished last year, but uh, not not the same sorts of issues he had last year. Yeah, anonymous races seem to happen outside of the podium runners in general. Sometimes it's in sixth place, sometimes fifth place, but in this case, it was uh, Charlie Claire. Uh, he. I mean, it could have been a little more interesting, to be fair, four seconds or so, 4.4 to Checo, and then it was another what, three or four to Lewis. Uh, it could have been a little more interesting for him. We're going to get into that, I figure, here in a moment. Um, but, uh, you know, for Ferrari and their battle, their battle's bigger than this year anyway. And, uh, I mean, for him, Leclerc, is only a half a point behind his teammate, but the fact that his teammate's beating him in points is interesting. They brought that up on the post-race. Ferrari is now only, what, seven and a half points behind McLaren after a nightmarish 
weekend for McLaren in the constructors. So all in all, as great AJ Foyt would say, a great uh, job taking best of the rest for Charles. And, um, you know, we'll see what Coda has in store. Ferrari has usually done pretty well at Coda. And, of course, Kimi Raikkonen got his, what will be his last Formula One victory there. Sebastian Vettel back in the day would run well there. So, I mean, the Ferrari, I think, would be well-suited to the Coda circuit. But then, you know, maybe it goes the way of, it could go the same way as Paul Ricard, where they were completely out to lunch. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Every it's It's been an interesting Formula One season in so many ways. So we really don't know what we're going to expect here at uh, at Austin. But I figure Ferrari will be up there, though. And Charles Leclerc will be somebody to look at uh, in regards to a top five result. Mm, definitely. Speaking of a top five result, it looked like that Lewis Hamilton wouldn't be resigned to just that. Now, obviously, it's gonna. There's been a bit of not conjecture, but a bit of discussion online, and I'm sure it's going to continue for quite a while. Joe, uh, Mercedes' decision to pit for Inters. Do you think that's that was the right decision? Do you think it was the right? Maybe it would have been better to keep him out on the tires that he knew and were sort of more slick, even though they had sort of less gauge and were probably more likely to overheat. Or, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about maybe an outside chance of a, of a soft stop because it did look like it was uh, it was drying up considerably for Hamilton and, uh, and he was looking at a third place. Yeah, look, I think at that point in the race, they were beyond, beyond a pit stop because the way those intermediate tyres work around this track were that it, after a couple of laps, they would drop off then you would have this phase where you completely slow down. And then once they start balding is when you get that pace back. And unfortunately, Hamilton did not have the time at the end of the race to to go through that and to be able to get those ties to where they were in the opening stint. Same thing happened to Charles Leclerc as well with the way he fell away in the second stint and then got passed on track by Sergio Perez there too. So... Look, it was interesting listening to Pirelli's Mario Azola as well after the race saying that he didn't think that Hamilton would have made it to the end of the race on the same set of uh, same set of tyres that he started the race on, even though Ocon managed to do that there for Alpine, but his pace was pretty terrible at the end. So, look, they're just going to have to lick their wounds with the top five finish. I think, you know, if they were to pit, they should have done it earlier, mirror the guys around them. But, you know, it was one of those 50-50 decisions where, you know, last time out in Russia, they looked like um, heroes and champions or whatever because they pulled him in at the right time, even though he was saying, no, I don't want to come in or whatever. This time um, they pulled him in. He didn't want to come in originally, but it goes the wrong way. So that's just the way racing works sometimes, unfortunately. But, you know, he still finished fifth. He still minimised what potentially could have been worse in terms of the um, points damage. So, you know, six points going into Austin, I don't think is too bad a loss. But, yeah, you know, if they were to pit, they could have done it earlier. Yeah, uh, like you say, it's not an insurmountable loss there of points. You know, that's that's one race victory, that, which is perfectly within Lewis Hamilton's grasp. <laughs> Behind, the guy who sort of looked like he was going to profit off of uh, the kind of box that Mercedes had got themselves into was Pierre Gasly. Um, you know, he, he, he sort of, where did he start? Because he started fourth and, you know, he's finished. 
sixth, which obviously on paper looked great. But bearing in mind the cars that have gone ahead of him, I think that's probably fine. And uh, and he was and he was looking like he might be able to battle past uh, Lewis Hamilton, Philip. Yeah, he was right there, and during the whole uh, interplay between Lewis, Bono, James, everybody, the whole entire Mercedes effort, it seemed like, with uh, that Strat call, uh, Pierre Gasly just quietly was right there and ready to pounce, and that's kind of what he's been all year. And it's something that... Pierre Gasly's kind of having a career year, even though he's won last year, even though he's had podium, multiple podiums. You know, the the reality is he's one of the better drivers in this sport. He is, I think, in a place where I, he's gonna get, he's gonna continue to have opportunity, whether it's at AlphaTauri or elsewhere. And relative to his rookie teammate. Obviously, or any teammate he's had in recent years, especially in the Alpha Tori side, he's outperforming them. So he's doing what is necessary. He's getting the maximizing the most out of the car. And I'm curious to see what 2022 will bring from that organization and what they're going to give him. Because with the rules changes, it's an opportunity to really make a change and really kind of flip the script a bit. Um and I would think that if that was the case and, and Alpha Tori were to respond in the in a positive way, then it could mean Pierre Gasly up there more often. But the fact is his qualifying pace has been great all year or most of the year. He's been able to contend getting those solid finishes relative to what the team is. He's basically carrying the team on his back. He's ninth in points and he has 74 of the 92 points in regards to uh, the constructors. They're only 12 points behind Alpine, which is pretty good um, considering Alpine has two drivers that are generally performing uh, most weeks. So that's a solid performance, but not something we wouldn't, I mean, it's something that we would expect from Valtteri, I mean, Valtteri, I mean, Pierre on a, on a regular basis. Mm, yeah, exactly. After that, we have uh, we've got Lando Norris. Based on the pace of the McLaren, it doesn't seem to work, or it doesn't seem to work so well for whatever reason at Istanbul. You know, he's he's finished where he's qualified. Do you think that's maybe a, almost a sort of it, that, that that's a positive that they can take um, to it from that from the weekend, or would you expect maybe they they were wanting to go forward? Uh yeah, I reckon they could have. That was <laughs> that was it. You know that could be taken as a positive. I was getting deja vu from Zandvoort early on in the weekend that it, it could have been as bad as that. But, you know, for Lando to finish where he started as well, it was a bit unfortunate though, even though Gasly had the five-second penalty that he still came out ahead of him. That was purely because Lando pitted. I think he was one of the first to pit in the middle of the race on lap 35. But, yeah, he he did a good job otherwise. You know, it was kind of nice to not have all the attention around him either after what happened in Sochi. So he would have just gone about his business. Um, they're still ahead of Ferrari in the championship, even though they did outscore them this weekend. But, you know, it's it's still interesting to see that um, that McLaren is very much a track-specific car. You know, they, they do really well at some tracks and then at other tracks they do you know, like we said before, with um, Ferrari there at uh, Paul Ricard, they just are completely nowhere. So 
that's something I guess you know the team will be learning for for next year when we get the new uh, cars out and hope that they can be a bit more consistent across the board. Yeah, exactly. Next year sort of seems like where most teams are putting their focus. After that, uh, we've got Carlos Sainz, who after a uh, power unit change, so starting from the back of the grid, I believe, you know, that's to to finish in the points in eighth is really, really quite impressive. Yeah, no DRS and having to start from the back. Driver of the day uh, spoke in, in great joy and surprise that he got driver of the day. Uh, going to the uh, in-car in interview to take care of that. Uh, good run by him, keeping the points battle between himself and Charles very close, consolidating their situation in the constructors, of course. Um, getting a couple points, sneaking a couple points today or four was um, a positive haul uh, with uh, McLaren only having the one driver in there. And finishing on the lead lap, too. Uh, he was only uh, less than four seconds behind his buddy Lando there. In in theory, on the road, he was only 14 seconds behind Charles after starting in the back. So a uh, great, great performance run by Carlos um, now that he has a new power unit. Hopefully, as mentioned with, with Charles Leclerc, at Coda, which has which is in a, in ways a power circuit, um, it pushes all aspects of your car, and it's a rough circuit. So it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. Um, but I think similarly to McLaren, they're a car that and a team that performs at certain circuits. So maybe it flips the other way at Coda, or you know, I think that next uh, batch of races, the um, Americas deal with. Uh, with Coda, with Mexico, and with Brazil will be an interesting uh, three-race um, block to see um, how uh, everything turns out before they go out to the Middle East to finish the year because those are going to be the last, I think, three character, somewhat character circuits that they run um, because the Middle East tracks really don't have a lot. <laughs> so we'll, um, we'll uh, go and see what happens there with uh, Ferrari and Sainz and Charles. If uh, Saudi Arabia's progress is anything to go by, uh, that might be interesting. Might be sort of a uh, how Donington used to look a few years ago. <laughs> Basically unfinished. Um, right. Or uh, Korea. Yeah, or Korea. God. Right. As someone... Uh, you know, unfortunately, we're talking about Carlos Sainz going forwards. Unfortunately, that means someone has to have gone backwards. The, Mercedes, the Aston Martin just didn't look like it was going to go, just didn't look racy in any sort of way. And it's kind of, you know, it's a shame that one point, uh, sorry, two points is the best they could do. But it didn't, I've just felt like it, they looked sort of neutered anyway, Gerard. Yeah, to me, I've, I've just felt that they've looked like that all year, to be honest, except for the couple of times they have stood out. But yeah, just reading what, Lance Stroll had to say after the race, he actually said he was happy with the result and they thought that they got everything out of the car as well, which is interesting, you know, given that they did lose a position. They did have a slow pit stop as well, which did kind of cost them a little bit of time, but, you know, it doesn't, um, it kind of pales in comparison to what happened to his teammate, which you guys will address a bit later. But yeah, you know, them looking muted is probably the best way to describe Aston Martin. And, you know, this this result kind of, you know, it's it's two points. Let's, let's bank it and move forward. 
Yeah, it's damage to reputation for watching the new Bond film. I think that's the fastest I've seen an Aston Martin go. Uh, <laughs> In the film, not on the racetrack, unfortunately. Behind that, uh, behind him, we've got uh, Esteban Ocon. It's a bit of a clunky race, really, for uh, for Esteban. It wasn't wasn't sort of uh, it was a far cry, maybe, from the wins that we've seen him do, unfortunately, this season. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's it's not going great for him, has it, Phil? I mean, it's Esteban Ocon. At the end of the day, you're going to have the uh, peaks and valleys. Uh, with him, you're going to have the absolute epic performance at Hungary, and then you're going to see him outside of the points and not even being in the same wave, in the same planet as Fernando Alonso, another race. And then you have today, which is in the middle. Uh, you'll say that I, you'll say that he's the people say he stayed out, and because of that, he lost so much pace and he had no grip, and that's why he got what he got. But you'll there will be the other side. I'll say, well, his great, legendary, one of the greatest of all time teammate was nowhere to be found and outside of the points. So you go and balance those two things out, damage limitation. It seems like this day in general was damage limitation uh, for the most part because it was basically about maintain, hold, wait till next pit stop. It wasn't really about racing as much as it was keeping your car on track and being able to get the most out of it. Um, for Ocon, you know, Alpine, it's a, their car more similar to the Ferrari, the McLaren-Ferrari battle. They're finicky. They have less circuits where they're really on. And then I don't think these conditions are ideal for that car and, and that team. So I would say that ninth place, considering the decisions and the strategy that they pulled, was about as good as they were going to get out of this deal, and or 10th place, I mean, and they were first car a lap down. It could have went sideways. They could have lost that point to the Alphas, but instead they were able to pull it, and uh, you, you kind of take it for what it is and move on. Uh, they have a 12-point lead on... Alpha Tori as they move to the last six races of the season and hoping for some better results uh, in warmer climates as they're going to be going to, as we in generally speaking, drier outside of maybe Brazil for the rest of the year in regards to the last six races. Yeah. After that, we've got, you know, moving down the order, we've got uh, Antonio Giovinazzi. I'm glad actually that I didn't see a lot of Antonio Giovinazzi because, uh, as much as you know, he's, he's unfortunately finished outside the points. Um, but the, the thing is, uh, I think I'd have got confused if I'd seen uh, another white and red car on track. But it's just it, they're kind of I feel kind of bittersweet about this because I feel that kind of the alphas could have been faster, but also like this is also a good result. I feel like they're they're, they're still punching above their weight even at eleventh and twelfth. Uh, Joanne, yeah, they both um, they both had a good start. Giovinazzi up four places and whatnot, and then just I guess quicker cars had to come past and um, take away those points from them. And you know, Ocon as well with with his tire situation at the end, it was it was touch and go, and could have dagged a point, old Dio, but unfortunately not on this occasion. But still, given that you know they made up that ground at the start, they looked semi competitive as well. It it is a good result to take away, even though there is no points. And, you know, it's 
like you, you know that it's coming that we're going to find out that he's not going to be on the grid next year. He's he said as well that he's got no plans outside of F1 at the moment, which, I mean, if I were him, I'd be trying to line something up to do next year. So I really just want to see him go out with some good results if, uh, if he can. Otherwise, it's just going to be right. Consigned to the history books, you are on to the next one. Yeah, it does feel like one of those drivers that uh, that sticks around in Formula One for a few years, but doesn't really do anything uh, sort of impactful. Which is unfortunately where I'm, I'm going to move on to Daniel uh, Ricciardo because Kimi Raikkonen basically didn't do anything as far as I saw. <laughs> yeah, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, awful weekend. Just an awful, awful weekend for him. And uh, and unfortunately, the, the more the years pass, it looks more and more like he's going to be one of those drivers I've just described, Philip. Well, I mean, the difference is with. Daniel Ricardo, he has one. He's won in multiple cars. He has a personality. He's generally liked. Um, McLaren has hope for next year. There's a bunch of things, but this year you see both sides of... Uh, uh, we we kind of see what we saw prior to the summer break with Daniel Ricardo. Um, granted, uh, strategy did not work in their favor today, too. But they had mixed conditions yesterday. They couldn't even make it out of Q1 or whatever. They they were not even a factor in qualifying. And Lando was in the top 10. So that's a problem. So you are already compromised at the start of the race. Then when you're in this race and you're trying to make up positions and your strategies are off and you don't have pace, you somehow or another finish behind the Alfa Romeos. I, I don't, I don't know how other. I don't get that. I know that Daniel Ricciardo is better than that, and I mean you have uh, Kimi Raikkonen yelling at his team, telling him I didn't want to pit too, and it doesn't really matter in a sense of Kimi Raikkonen. He knows he's done. He should do whatever he wants. He could get away with it. In the case of Daniel Ricciardo, I don't know. Uh, I mean. He'll go to one of his favorite places, uh, Coda, and get to, I don't know if, when, he probably is going to drive the Blue Goose at Abu Dhabi or whatever as the prize for winning the Italian Grand Prix from uh, Zach Brown, but um, he's going to have a fun time there. I think it'll be a nice reset between now and the, in two weeks' time. Uh, he needs to. They need to. They need him to finish out these last six races strong because Ferrari, as a unit, might be the best teammate combination in Formula One right now. So McLaren definitely needs Daniel Ricciardo, and McLaren also has to shore up their side on the on the tech, on the tech side and in the you know engineering side to provide good strategies so that they can get the most out of Daniel Ricciardo too. Because Lando Norris generally has shown up all year, and um, so it, that if they want third in the constructors, if they don't care, then I don't know what what the point is. But you know, I think a few million dollars for those multimillionaires does make a difference. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it would look terrible, basically, if they stopped. If they gave up now, right? Also, looking terrible is uh, is Yuki Tsunoda, which was a shame because uh, I thought he was actually going to do quite well. Bearing in mind he was holding up Lewis Hamilton for a not insignificant amount of time, and uh, but unfortunately, he's just. He, you know, I thought, well, 
maybe he he'll still still uh, still stick up there because holding behind a seven time world champion and actually putting a place on him is uh, you know that's that's quite impressive. Uh, but unfortunately, it sort of seemed same old Yuki Jawad after uh, you know as, as everything else played out and uh, and he's ended up fourteenth. <laughs> yeah, he qualified in the top ten and everything, and yeah, holding up Lewis very well in such you know, difficult conditions, mind you, as well. You know, it's not easy holding up Lewis in, in the dry, let alone in the wet. So um, he did a pretty good job. But then, yeah, just uh, running into spin, finishing down in 14th. Again, just another non-point scoring um, result going his way. And, you know, it would have been nice, uh, you know, given all the um, tributes this weekend to to Honda and, and to Japan as well, that, you know, the Japanese driver could have, Scored some points there for for Alpha Tauri to make it four point scoring finishes across the um, Red Bull drivers, but unfortunately it wasn't the case, and that's just unfortunately how uh, Sonoda is. You know, just in there too early. I think would have been better if he spent another year um, in F two or whatever. But you know, he's there. We just got to hope that he um, improves on the fly. Yeah, I, I I hope he will. Uh, I think Yuki Sonoda is sort of the sort of person you know he got a bit caught out by the first race and uh, and he sort of never really got over that. But uh, maybe next year we'll suit him. That's the uh, that's only the hope. Talking about suiting things, very odd for George Russell and and Nicholas Satifi, but we'll focus on George Russell just for now. The Williams seems to be better in the wet than it is in the dry, but maybe we found it's Achilles' heel where you know if it if it's sort of between the two it just doesn't work in any way and like you know George Russell who usually is so good that you know he couldn't put it together yesterday and he's still <laughs> to put it together today unfortunately uh, Philip well I think after such a great run of races for for George and for Williams and even for Latifi for that matter that had to come back to earth and um, unfortunately this weekend was that Latifi really wasn't there most of the weekend. George struggled. And there's an irony in the fact that Valtteri put a whole weekend together and qualified on on pole with air quotes and led lights to flag and got the fastest lap. And George Russell um, was a nondescript 15th. Um, but the reality of the world is for Williams made their year, you know, over the last, I don't know, month and and change. They made their their year with everything that happened from Hungary on here. So whatever they do from now on is I think it's just whatever. Alpha Romeo is not gonna score any more points, I don't think, without some miracle happening. So they're they are definitely an eighth. It's unfortunate. I know George wants to leave on a high note at at Williams, and uh, I know Latifi wants to perform and kind of give Alex Albon something to think about, um, considering Alex Albon's coming into a new team, a new situation. It's totally different from Red Bull, um, the whole kind of setup. Uh, but, you know, it's a throwaway weekend for, for Williams. Reset, go to Coda see how it is. Um, you know, it could be difficult there too, but I would venture to think that George will um, kind of reset and go back to what he's been able to do, get back into Q2, 
easy, possibly sneak into a Q3. They'll probably flirt with a point uh, there at uh, Coda, depending on the conditions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, sort of all sides ahead at this point. Unfortunately, uh, we have we move on to sort of a two-time world champion, um, which is not someone you want to see this far down. But Fernando Alonso kind of brought, you know blew up his own race within about the first 400 meters, uh, didn't he, Jewards? Yep, uh, coming together with Gasly, which you know Gasly got the penalty for it, but then on the next lap, it was a bit of karma back to Fernando when he tipped into um, Mick Schumacher, and he ended up taking a five-second penalty. But you got to say that with the penalty, and then also being dropped back to that part of the field from Gasly, I think Alonso came off much worse than. Then Pierre did, and then, yeah, from there, there was really much scope for him to recover his race, and that was pretty much it. It was beforehand, coming into the race, I was certainly looking forward to seeing Alonso in these conditions. I mean, Ted Kravitz, I think, before the <laughs> on the grid said something crazy like, maybe Alonso will win this race. I'm like, yeah, right, he will. <laughs> but I didn't expect it to be this bad for the two-time world champion who otherwise has been really good this season. So I think, you know, we can we can allow this one to slip under the radar for him. Yeah, definitely. And we then have another Williams after after that, uh, who, you know, Latifi, I think I saw him once in, in the start of the broadcast and that was about it. Philip is sort of, you know, it, uh, it's, I think he's struggling with the same issues that George will have been. So maybe Williams just didn't get there on the setup, but uh you know, it looked like he was coming back, but it uh, coming back more recently. But it uh, it's almost as if that honeymoon period is over again. Yeah, I think we we kind of hashed out Williams there on the George part. So, um, I mean, for um, Steph, I don't really know what to say about Nicholas other than um, he was there. He's Canadian. Um, he's he's another Canadian who has a lot, whose dad has a lot of money, um, uh, but. Um, yeah, we'll go on to Coda for Nicholas Satifi and Doritos and the whole bit there, and hopefully they'll have more pace. And it isn't in mixed intermediate going to dry with no temp conditions at Coda, though it is much colder these days. It is fall, uh, so it could be, or autumn, or whatever you want to call it. So it could be cold conditions at Coda, so it may not be such a good thing for the Williams switching on tires. In my bucket, in my bucket of Dan, we've seen that before. Now, if I was a lesser host, I'd uh, I'd maybe try and put a, a small joke in here about Sebastian Vettel uh, putting on dry tires and then uh, really, really struggling and, and maybe throwing away his entire race. But I'm not that person, so I won't be throwing in that joke here. However, Pitwall for uh, Aston Martin seemed to uh, just throw the entire strategy out the window and, and make a sort of really premature move to the the wrong, the wrong kind of slicks in any case, Stuart, but but let alone slicks at all. Well, I'll, I'll read out to you what um, Seb actually said after the race. He said, something inside me was calling me to the dry tyres. So, you know, obviously he has some intuition about that or, or whatever, but definitely the gamble did not work out today. At least he took ownership for it and said, yeah, it was my mistake. Other than that, you know, he was sitting in the points. He, I think he was 10th before he came in for that pit stop. 
a little bit of action there with Carlos Sainz as well earlier in the race where there was a little bit of a con- little bit of contact there when the Ferrari came through but again just unfulfilling you know neutered performance from from Aston Martin like just before the the dodgy pit stop or switching over to the slick tires was concerned and then yeah his race wasn't really going to improve from <laughs> that afterwards yeah, credit to for owning up about, uh, owning up about that, but uh, putting on slicks was uh, it, it, it smokes very much of the uh, the kind of moves I tried to make in Formula One, where I'm like, yeah, drives are fine, and then they're really not. Um, so, uh, after that, we've got Mick Schumacher, who it's always good to see him uh, in front of his teammate because that's the only person he's really racing. Uh, Phil, yeah, I mean he he had a great qualifying yesterday getting in a q2 he was in good spirits and then that went away quite quickly today getting run over and all but the fact of the matter is uh he beat egghead uh so that's really what counts egghead spun out a bunch showing once again his immense talent and so in the end mick basically kept it clean and uh, brought it back in one piece he didn't have to um, get into any argy-bargy with uh, his teammate. His teammate ignored blue flags, per usual. Um, you know, he bobs for apples, as I named my my uh, team on the Sportlight um, Premier League uh, side, uh, which is dead last, just like um, Egghead. So it, it, it kind of all fits together there. I mean, for Haas, I don't know what their plan is for next year. I hope it's to actually show up and put a car that can actually be within a couple seconds of the next car. Give Mick Schumacher something to work with. He has the potential. He has a talent. They do have good people there, but you know you need to give them something better to work with than what they're giving them this year. And there's six races to go, grinding this out into oblivion, which is basically what Haas is right now. They're in oblivion. Maybe to bring one of their uh, the NASCARs over. That might be faster. Um, well, I always say that Mi- that Mick should drive one of his dad's old cars. I, uh, I mean, it, I usually ask for the Jordan one nine one. I think this week it'll be um, Michael Schumacher's nineteen ninety three uh, Benetton Ford. That would have been great in these conditions with uh, with automatic transmission, with uh, traction control. Wait, wait, with, was that the one that had traction control, or did it like have traction control? <laughs> no, that's ninety four. <laughs> but you guys, we've talked about it here on the Good Talk podcast before. So, and there's books been written about it too. Uh, so that was actually legal traction control and all the other great bits. And his dad won the Portuguese Grand Prix with that uh, car around this time in 1993. So that would have been a better option than what he had to drive this week. There is no option that would help Egghead drive forward a wheelbarrow into into a puddle and into the sand would have been a better option than what he was doing all weekend. It's okay, you've, uh, you've set up the best, uh, the best joke I'm ever going to make, which is uh, F1's own option 13. It shouldn't be there, but it is. Uh, uh, <laughs> what can we say? Yeah, there's, there are many places to be when you're letting a car pass, but on the racing line through a kink, you know, a, bl- a blind kink is not one of them. Nikita Mazepin showing his class today. <laughs> Very much so, and I think that's where we'll leave it. Basically, spinning a bunch, 
holding up, uh, you know, faster cars at the front, you know, I don't think I've seen a driver this bad in in quite some time. <laughs> that's that. That's pretty much it. That's it. That's the sentence. <laughs> that, that, that's it. That's it. I do have to. I do have to wonder though. I mean, because um, obviously it's their home race, the team's home race ne- next time. Uh, you know, will they try and run some kind of special livery along with the uh, the Russian sponsor that they've got? You know, what what's that going to look like? Is anyone actually going to be supporting Haas at, at the home race this year? Uh, I, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I must say, I do like watching the Sky commentary because uh, you get to hear so many different tones of voice expressing disappointment at Nikita Mazepin and the fact that he's here. Right, we'll, uh, we'll flip to the complete other end of the spectrum here with uh, with you guys as driver of the day. I think I have a feeling of who's going to probably get it, but we'll start with you, Jawad, so you've got something good to talk about at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Um Look, I was really impressed with Perez today. I think, um, you know, good on science for being the official driver of the day. But, yeah, I think Perez did a great job considering he had that little battle with Hamilton in the race. He finished on the podium as well. And, yeah, it's just a taste of what, you know, we want to see more of from Checo uh, heading into this last part of the season because, that constructors championship is on the line and if they can get the job done then you know Sergio can tick his box you know that says that you know I did my job for this season you know and Red Bull can finally say that yes we finally had a second driver that could do the job that we wanted all year so yeah I think Perez put in a great performance today so my vote goes to him okay and uh Phil who's your driver of the day huh uh Let's see. I'll I'll go with Porridge. I'll I'll do it. I might as well. Um, I usually slag him here, and people say I'm not positive about anybody on this podcast, or certain people have referenced that. So um, for Valtteri Bottas, he had a great weekend all weekend. He took the car that was the best car. Uh, all weekend, and while his teammate had to deal with a whole bunch of stuff. He had a plan. He was focused. He did his thing. National Porridge Day, the biggest proponent of porridge there is, gets his gets his tenth and most likely last victory in Formula One. So all credit to him and his side of the Mercedes garage, and to him as a driver for this performance this weekend, proving that version number seventy six of Valtteri Bottas is pretty good. But we'll see what version number, whatever, 82 is in um, at Coda. Yeah, 100%. Valtteri Bottas is doing exactly what he needs to do, which is be on the top step of the podium when Lewis Hamilton can't. Right. I get, that means I get to I, I get to side with everyone. And uh, I'm just going to go with Carlos Sainz because I still think 19th to, uh, 19th to 8th in a not particularly quick Ferrari on a wet day where they're not running high downforce is mighty impressive. So full marks to him for that because that's uh, that's still pretty good. Uh, Honourable mentions, obviously, uh, Charles Leclerc for not going backwards in said Ferrari. 
Right. So you'll know if you're watching live, uh, but if you're listening after the fact, we now stream our show live on YouTube and Facebook. So be sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Formula One Grid Talk. Um, also the ring the bell icon so you're notified of future shows. But if you prefer to listen to your podcast after the fact, we, uh, we're now available on Verbal, as well as Amazon Music, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, Omni Studio, and Pocket Cast. Just search F1 Grid Talk. We have a, also have a large back catalogue of shows together with every event of the season so far. Uh, so if you'd like to go back and watch those uh, and then listen to our reaction of them, you can do that. Uh, there's over 140 uh uh, sprawling back a long, long way now with Mario Isola twice, as well as a retrospective pieces on Tiregate and Senna. So if you're still stuck to do beyond that, uh, please check out our subject, subreddit F1 Grid Talk to give us suggestions for what we can do to improve the show and perhaps subscribe to our Patreon for mics, lights and better recording equipment for our presenters. We will be back next week to pre- preview the United States Grand Prix at Cota. I'm just going to thank our panellists uh, for being on the show today and uh, we start with you, Phil. You can uh, let us know where to find you and uh, where your things are. Yeah, you can find me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. You can find the Grip Strip podcast at Grip Strip Pod on Twitter and also uh, Podbean, Pandora, a- Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, you can find the Grip Strip podcast. And we talk about all different motorsports, not just Formula One. We talk about stuff here in the States. We talk about a world. Uh, motorsport as well. Uh, myself and Josh um, cover all motorsports. We also talk about American football, which is going on right now as we speak in Tottenham Stadium with uh, the Jets and Atlanta Falcons. So uh, tune in, uh, give us a like, subscribe, and uh, thanks to um, everybody here. Thanks, Owen, for hosting. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. And Gerard, where can we find you? Yep, so you can find my Hit the Apex podcast on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. It is published to Apple and Spotify as well as some others. New episode going up later this week, hopefully, review of the um, Turkish Grand Prix, what we've just talked about, and also uh, news from Australia in regards to the Supercars Championship, which will be coming back at the end of this month too. So I'll go all over all the different formats and whatnot that they're going to, because they're racing at the same track for four weeks, basically. So doing a um, doing a Formula E there in Berlin last year. So I'll go over that. So that should be exciting. And yeah. Thanks for hosting. It's a pleasure with you guys on. If you like what I say, I, I, that's, I doubt it. But if you like what I say, then uh, if you want a, a lighter look, lighter than this even, at the, uh, the this uh, week's racing events, then uh, if you go to sportlightpro.com and you can find my meme reviews uh, of the races. They're, they're less meme reviews at this point and more just me going through what happened in meme format. But if you like the idea of that, then uh, just come have a read. We do, I do appreciate it. Beyond that, I guess I just got to thank you very much for watching and goodbye. Bye.